This episode is brought to you by Affordable Drill Towers. Founded in 2016 by our good friend Steve Sanguidoce, a retired Houston, Texas firefighter, the Affordable Drill Tower was designed and built with functionality and versatility in mind for any training ground. As a standalone training tower and add-on to an existing burn building or connect setup, the Affordable Drill Tower packs a massive punch at an affordable price tag. With over 50 towers across the country, from Massachusetts to California, Montana to Texas, professionally engineered, NFPA and ISO compliant, the Affordable Drill Towers brings the versatility to your training ground. From Main Street USA, the small town fire company in their back parking lot, to the training grounds of the largest metropolitan fire academy, the Affordable Drill Tower fits the bill for price and functionality. Check them out at AffordableDrillTowers.com. And two things I like to talk about also when talking about our friends over at Affordable Drill Towers. One, their customized training program. They have the ability to bring some of the best talent from across the country to your home turf after the install of the Affordable Drill Tower. Designing a customized training program for you and your department, Steve will facilitate some of the biggest and brightest names of the American Fire Service to come in and work with you and your department. And secondly, and I think most important, is Steve's belief in need over greed. The affordable drill tower company gives back to not-for-profits that support organizations in the American Fire Service. Organizations such as the Joey D Foundation, which is near and dear to Steve Sanguidoche's heart, as well as many other not-for-profits that he takes a part of. He takes great pride in providing funding for organizations that push this job forward. So check them out. Steve and Dennis over at Affordable Drill Towers. Send them an email at info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Check them out on social media. And their YouTube page is kicking butt with great information, training nuggets, and information about their towers. So check them out, Affordable Drill Towers, and let them know Jeremy over at National Fire Radio sent you. This episode's brought to you by Ridgeway Leatherworks. Ridgeway Leatherworks is a firefighter-owned and operated business as well as a family-run business, and that's what I love about it. Rob and his family are passionate about their customer service and the quality product and craftsmanship they put out for the emergency services. Rob's been on the show. We've been to his his business. We've seen them in action. I've even tried to hand-paint radio straps. I promise you, it is not as easy as what the final outcome looks like. The product is so good, it's so clean and crisp, and yet, man, it takes that steady hand. Rob's become a near and dear friend of our podcast, and you hear that over and over when we talk about our sponsors, that they're friends, supporters, and that's what this networking community is all about, is supporting one another. Ridgeway Leatherworks, Rob Meyer, crushing it. Quality and craftsmanship is number one. Customer service is right there with it. From custom radio straps, universal radio holsters, chin straps, flashlight holders, anti-sway straps, and locker tags made out of leather, there's plenty of opportunity along the way when you deal with Ridgeway Leatherworks. So check them out at RidgewayLeatherworks.com. Find them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And tell Rob you heard about him on the National Fire Radio platform and give them a little pluck and tell them keep up the good work we need to support our firefighter owned businesses and especially family run businesses where his two daughters and his wife help out day in and day out along with his other employees so again ridgeway leatherworks check them out at ridgewayleatherworks.com and find them on all your social media channels 
Hey everybody, it's Rob, National Fire Radio. Very excited here tonight because I am with the one and only legendary Lieutenant Kevin Pluger. Kevin, thank you for joining me tonight on National Fire Radio with this episode of The Gospel. Thank you very much for having me. So I know I, I uh, kind of talked to you about this the other day, re relaunching The Gospel. I stepped into a new position a couple months ago and got promoted to captain and got placed in charge of training and you and I had a good discussion on this because uh you know there's a lot of stumbling blocks that can come along with the position and especially given how um how do I put this like some departments you know like yourself and, and me we, we kind of run in a, in a department with low manpower um or we're manpower or staffing limited whatever you want to say we don't have a lot of people to help us out yep. so uh you know it, it comes on like how do you how do you tackle this goal and it, it becomes very like what they teach us in instructor one instructor two and in the books is not going to be applicable to us so we have to kind of come up with uh new ways of doing things and, and and take a little bit of a different approach for sure and i wanted to kind of talk about that and and you're from live oak texas uh sure. and uh so and you're also a consultant for mercedes textiles you've been uh, out on the circuit um helping out with the uh, hose demos and doing various stuff with Mercedes products. So you're out there in the street, not only, you know, um, showcasing the product, but it, it, there's a little bit of training that goes in with that as well as you're working with departments, helping them with this. So it's all kind of very relevant to the discussion that we're going to have today. Yes, sir. So Kevin, tell us a little bit about your department and where you work and what the staffing's like. So at Live Oak Fire Department, uh, we're a one station department, about 5.5 square miles. Uh, our setup, we got seven on duty uh, per shift with a minimum staffing of five. If we're all there, we have a captain that rides uh, in a buggy. And then we got two engines that do respond, three men on each. Uh, if we do drop below seven, we do have the option to kind of run in the buggy and off of one engine. Uh, we first respond out of our station. We have a contracted ambulance for the area, so we don't do any type of transport or anything like that. So, like, uh, you know, in your position, um, especially with the low manpower, how do you how do you handle training? Because I know this is a this is a hard thing. It's not like Live Oak can just afford to take the engine out of service for a couple hours and do a company drill or something like that. It's, uh, you know, because it, it's it's just you guys. It's a single station. Yeah, for sure. The, the key things that it comes down to is, in my mind, is we got to be super strict with our time. Uh, we have to plan our days out and try to stick to the schedule as much as possible, understanding that, you know, calls may come and set back whatever was planned. But when we do get a little bit slower period of the day, uh, we don't need to be sitting around really not doing anything at that time. That might be our only time to get in some training uh, that needs to be to get done. So I get to work pretty early. I get there an hour early and I get our whole day set. We do 48 hour shifts and I have a day set pretty much, you know, planning that we're going to have time knowing that we will get interrupted at times. But if it is a slower day, we'll get to quite a bit. If it's a lot, I just keep track of what we didn't get to, and then we pick up right where we left off for the next tour. So it's super important to be just really organized with the day, uh, the planning for the day, what you got coming to you for the shift. So when, when it comes to like company training on the shift, what does good training look like to you? So 
specifically at Live Oak right now, uh, like I said, we got seven on each shift. So that's four firemen on each shift. Uh, 11 of the 12 firemen have been ran through my shift for their probationary phase training. And we even have a guy right now on duty that's been there a little bit over a month. So uh, we've I've been in the book. My shift has been in the book for, it seems like, a couple of years now. So we have a lot of, in a sense, could be looked at as introduction training is the basics of. And as we all know, the basics is what's key for us to be uh, getting in the place. That's probably 95% of what's going to take place on the fire ground. So being good at the basics is super important. So uh, my days are, for the most part, just working through these uh, probationary books. Sometimes it's I got one guy in month one and one guy in month four, and then we're having to manage our time even more than that. But uh, kind of the tone with what you're wanting to set with this podcast, I think it'd be important to just kind of work through our book here with uh, kind of month one through month six, kind of uh, kind of what we have in place there that is kind of a good outline. Uh, it's just a way, it's not the way, but it has been something that's been working uh, pretty successful for us at, at Live Oak. So you're talking about the book. So this is a probationary book on yes, a six-month period for new members of the department. Yes, sir. All right, so yep. let's dive into it. And, and I want to just set the tone with this first. You can have the best, the best, whatever it looks like, the best outline that's out there, the best book that's out there. But it doesn't really matter if you don't have guys that are willing to uh, hold the standard for those skills or those drills when they're getting signed off. Unfortunately, in the fire service, it is known where paperwork, paperwork gets pencil whipped and uh, ex the extra work doesn't get done when it needs to get done. So. The, the key is, is also having a, a crew and staffing and department that's willing to actually put the book in the place because it just really doesn't matter if you don't have a book or it doesn't matter if you don't have the right person in place uh, or the right team in place kind of organizing that and doing that. So that is that is super important. Uh, what, what we start off with is obviously just some of the basic stuff, uh, history and organization of the department, you know, vision statement, stuff like that. We get their protocols assigned to them, get that running. Uh, but then we start with the most simplest stuff and everything we do is a crawl, walk, run aspect. Uh, we we uh, discuss with these guys that respectfully, we assume they don't know anything at all. So we start first off, we have to make sure they can put their gear on. So. Uh, we start with the appropriate way of how to put their gear on correctly and how to take their gear off uh, correctly, talking uh, PPE and SCBA. In coordination with that, we'll go ahead and inter introduce the RIP back to them, uh, all the connections that come with that. And we immediately in month one, once we have their uh, gear and stuff down, we start getting into some basics of some firefighter survival. Uh, we go through firefighter packaging. Uh, firefighter drags, uh, the hookups, and it leads to pretty much uh, when we're all said and done with it, signing the guy off is he's pretty much going into uh, a room with tons of clutter, uh, smoke machines being used, a bunch of loud music being blasted and kind of just putting all those skills together to work. And he needs to go in there, uh, mitigate the problem with the firefighter and get him out on his own. Uh, we get into later on with more of a confidence course, confined space to kind of build off of that. But we feel that's important for us just to get going initially, just in case we do end up in a pinch. This guy at least understands all the connections, the drags, and he can kind of uh, operate with another crew in a writ scenario kind of from the get go of month one. Uh, 
I, I think I just want to jump in there, Kevin, too. Like when you talked about having the right people to run uh, the members through the skills and all of this stuff, like that's important because like when you're doing, you know, like when you're setting the tone for something like Rick, you've got to have support setting that that particular aspect of it up. It's not something that you can just kind of, you know, throw together on a whim and hope it works well. Um, so like really having the right people in the right position is crucial in this. For, for sure. And you need to have individuals that are willing to go outside their, their bubble and outside of their department and obtain the information to, to teach it. Uh, anybody that's going to be in charge of anything like this is going to be limited by their skill set. Obviously, there's going to be other individuals that are more knowledgeable or more skilled on a certain topic where they can kind of have a higher ceiling or higher standard. So you're really restricted as well by who is in that position and what is their skill set. Uh, with the firefighter packaging, what I talked about, uh, you know, a few years ago, we went to some classes outside of our department and we learned some real basic stuff of maneuvering the body of a firefighter with using their pack to the advantage. And, you know, it blew a lot of our minds. And now we're able to incorporate that back at our department. So I can think back to the times of when I was doing books or helping out with them and probationary books and I just didn't have that skill set. So kind of the standard that might have been in place at the time may have been high to me. But in reality, there was more to add to that. Unfortunately, we've been able to do that with quite a bit because we do have a good training culture at our department. Uh, we do get outside of our department quite a bit. So that allows us, even though it is a probationary phase on all of these topics, it allows us to, even though it might be basic, we're able to have still a pretty high standard and pretty high skill set by the time that firefighters getting signed off on something. Yeah. So that's, that's month one is all on that aspects of like getting them comfortable in their gear and getting them comfortable and, and doing writ. So what's the rest of the book and the, and the process look like? So at the same time in month one, we go ahead and introduce some engine ops as well. A lot of times this firefighter is going to end up on the nozzle. So we got to make sure he can deploy our loads, which are Minuteman loads. So we dive in immediately to Minutemans as well. And then we will also go over all the stationary positions with the Camilla lockoff, the hip grip, the clamp, introduce the heel position and start working through what we kind of a phase throughout the six months where they're flowing and moving uh, by uh, by the end of the six months. But the, the key thing is, is to make sure they can operate with getting that line deployed. We also have vertical and horizontal extended line operations in that month one. So again, where if that game plan is needed to be called, that place needs to be called, they're able to operate and function still as part of the, the team. Uh, we do take getting the line into place uh, very, very important. So that's why that's early, or that's why that's early into the probationary phase where we're making sure they can operate and really getting that line into place when we need it. And uh, we'll also incorporate a, a lecture as well with these guys in month one, just dealing with uh, the importance of what's going on inside of a structure when a structure is burning with, with pressures and gas contractions, uh, flow pass, uh, you know, getting water on actually what's burning on plane, off plane water application. So, they have that platform from the get-go to be truly effective when they are on the nozzle, where they're able to be effective with their water. So that's uh, that's all incorporated in the month one as well, and that kind of wraps up what we're looking at month one. Kevin, just really quickly, you, you said something that I wrote down, getting the line into place is so important. For us that are in low manpower 
departments. And I mean, I assume you have some kind of mutual aid. It's not just Live Oak by themselves handling incidents, but still that mutual aid's probably got to travel to get to you. But so, why why is it so important? Because like, I think this is one thing that I, I see in, as I travel and I, and I interact with uh, departments that are, like I say, like-minded, but like sized, you know, kind of, kind of hit on that for a minute, if you don't mind. Uh, the reason we stress this important, as we know, everything's uh, burning faster than ever. So somebody's that's a victim that's inside their clock is shorter than it would ever be. And now with these studies that are coming out, even still from UL with the search studies, uh, understanding just uh, what's killing people, uh, where they're being located more, just our operations need to be more professional and more strict than ever and more effective than ever. Uh, we've all gone through the culture. I went through the culture of, you know, uh, just winging it where, you know, that's what was going on of the culture of the department. And fortunately, nobody got hurt and there weren't any casualties. But when you, again, get outside of your bubble and you get a new culture kind of influence on you, you do start to uh, realize the importance of, of what time is and what effectiveness is. Uh, we already all know firefighting is super hard. It's like to me being in a all out brawl, you end up so tired and so beat up. If we're going to get so tired, it's better to at least have some rhyme and reason to what we're doing and be more effective with what we're doing. We owe that to ourselves. We owe that to our teams. We owe that to the citizens at, at the same time. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I, I, I just, that was that was awesome. Thank you. So I'll get into month two. Uh, we start to introduce uh, making sure this individual can hook up to the hydrant. So just typical uh, uh, hydrant hookups. So, you know, just running drills like anybody else would in, in a sense in that I kind of do have kind of a way I like to be it done in a certain time frame we're looking at. Uh, we'll run a typical drill that's seen at times across fire departments where uh, you can incorporate it as well with your driver operator where you, you catch a hydrant, uh, you put 100 feet on the ground. Uh, that that uh, driver operator has to hop off the truck. He has to run his deck gun off tank water and then hop off and hook up to his truck and uh, get water from the hydrant before he runs out of water. So that's kind of like a dual training we'll do once our hydrant man is getting proficient in the crawl walk run phase of that to kind of still be giving other individuals training as well while we're focusing on these new guys. Uh, the other thing that starts getting incorporated with month two is being a one station department in our area, you end up with a big fleet where big departments, they might have an engine and a truck at their station. Well, we got two engines, a truck, a brush truck and a reserve truck that's supposed to be checked every day. So we start incorporating month two through five uh, different apparatuses into there. And since we are one station, again, we don't have a dedicated rescue truck. Uh, our engine ends up with looking similar to a rescue type truck where we have airbags, rescue jacks, uh, uh, has extrication tools on it. So you end up with a lot of tools on there. And as we know, it's important for these firemen to uh, know how to operate those tools. So month two, we start incorporating the, an apparatus. Once they kind of have their, some of their nozzle work down and gear work down, uh, we start incorporating our apparatus and then they get signed off individually on all the kind of tools that are on there from saws. We have them where they can completely break down a saw, put it back together, clean it, run it. Same thing with fans the airbags, uh, air chisel, 
rescue jacks and the extrication tools as well. They're kind of all independently, individually signed off on. And then at the, at the same time with that apparatus, they'll get an inventory test by the end of the month where they're expected to pretty much have 100% of everything memorized of what's in each compartment of the apparatus. This episode is brought to you by the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Let's break it down real quick. Steve and the crew at Affordable Drill Towers is doing it again. They've created this fully custom and fabricated standpipe prop to support the fire service. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing piece of training equipment. And I want to hop into it real quick. It is designed with a 4-inch manifold of high-strength galvanized Schedule 10 pipe. The cart manifold are powder-coated red for a durable finish, meaning it's not just a talking piece. It's not something you tuck away on the shelf. This is a training prop that can be wheeled into the classroom and then brought out onto the training ground. And so let's talk about that. In the classroom, there's nothing better than having a hands-on prop in front of the students, in front of the fire companies that are there to learn about standpipe and FBC connections. Having that prop in the classroom allows for a great instructional lecture. And then from there, take the standpipe theory and translate it to the training grounds. You could wheel the cart out that's on casters. You wheel it out into the parking lot. And that same training prop that you just used hands-on in the classroom can now be used hands-on on the training ground by pumping into it and flowing out of it. It offers such versatility in its approach. It has a two and a half inch Siamese connection, seven two and a half inch outlets, six of which are standpipe valves, has a water motor gong, sprinkler head with a control valve, and a system pressure gauge. You can also upgrade and put three of the most common field adjustable PRVs. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing training prop that needs to be in every fire company or training department across the country. Reach out to Steve and the crew, info at AffordableDrillTowers.com. Ask for a demo, ask for information, or check them out on social media and YouTube. There's plenty of content out there that shows you exactly what the affordable standpipe prop can do for you. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders, they can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on and they provide nothing but top shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform. And Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFRSENTME. That's NFRSENTME for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. So from there, we move into month three. Uh, we start incorporating ground ladders. Uh, again, over my time in the fire service, our standards have changed on this or my standards have changed on this. Uh, I used to not know any better. We used to put up 24 foot ladders by ourselves as before I was introduced to one man throws. Uh, so that has changed over time by getting to outside trainings or being influenced by other individuals that I'm surrounded with at my department. So uh, we have got to the point where 
We've learned some good ways to throw ladders. They're expected to be able to sh throw ladders from the high and low shoulder. Uh, once you really get into ground ladders, you realize that there's there's uh, good reasons to be able to do both. I know kind of it seems like a high a high shoulder culture kind of took over the fire service for a couple of years, but uh, there's still very uh, a lot of effectiveness to doing the low shoulder as well. Uh, so we, we make sure we can do both on that. Uh, we get to the point where we're actually even running the ladder, we're running with the 24 foot ladder. We look at it back, like I discussed with the citizens, if, if we end up on a fire ground and we legitimately have somebody screaming and hollering from a window, you're not going to walk with that ladder. It's just not realistic. So I go in ahead and have my guys run with the ladders now, just so if that time ever hits, that's not their first time running with it. I, I always think that it's like, I, I relate that to like the, the worst time to learn to fight is when you get punched in the face. Like you've yeah. got to have that game plan beforehand. <laughs> and, you know, from the ground ladder aspect of it, like there's like for, in my department, the, you know, in our old staffing model, and it's still going to stay kind of probably the same in the newer one. Um, but like when we had what we called four man staffing, the driver, the chauffeur was expected to throw a 24 foot ground ladder in the appropriate spot of the building based on the fire conditions and where he thought like, you know, just because that was an expectation of like, Hey, you would, you know, get on scene park appropriately, set the parking brake, put the rig and pump, help, help with the line, charge the line. And then, secure secondary water whether that was from a hydrant or we have a quint so we use a uh, tank water from that and then at that point like throwing that ground ladder to either the rear and to you know just check on conditions out there or to a spot where okay you know like hey these guys are operating on a second floor i'm going to make sure they have at least one area where they can have a lot a ground ladder um for themselves so i think i think that's great because that's ground ladder work is something that you don't recognize you need until you need it Yep. And, and that, that engineer, I think, is one of the times where I think it's going to be more, uh, I guess, happen more often where they're going to go from a high shoulder. They're not having to worry about carrying any tools or anything at that point. So they can get to that point real quick from a high shoulder, just focusing on that ladder where a low shoulder, you know, if you're a crew assigned to go do something and you need to maybe operate on your radio or and and or carry a tool with you from that low shoulder that allows you to do that, do that as well. So that actually is one of the reasons i like to teach the high shoulder because that is pretty effective for that driver operator to get that up yeah sorry to steal you in your thunder there all right keep going no no that's you're great. good i didn't want to just dive into too much of this but that's that's one of the examples we like to to teach both of it just, just because we we see them uh, both effective uh also during this time uh we start to introduce some uh some search uh, some victim removal, again, anything we're teaching, we've gone and learned it from outside departments or I'm sorry, outside cadres, outside agencies that are out there. Uh, there's no way I could teach the stuff that we're teaching now with search if it wasn't going to top search classes that are out there currently to just pick the stuff up, stuff up from and, and bring it back to our department. So we make sure, again, we understand drags of victims, of victim removal out of a window, uh, understanding the search study as well, uh, how we need to keep their head low and why. Uh, eventually, we'll incorporate some like Denver drill type stuff so we understand in a tight uh, space how we can get uh, an individual out, manipulate their body and stuff as well uh, in tight areas. 
So we start to incorporate that. Also, uh, we start to incorporate some uh, split search, uh, oriented search, kind of the pros and cons of both. And uh, anytime throughout these six months as well, we're looking to get these individuals to into a search class. Uh, just recently, we had a new class pop up in our area, Brothers in Battle, and we, me specifically, I was looking to see, okay, on my shift, who hasn't taken a search class outside of what we're teaching yet? So this guy that's on about a month, we make sure we're getting into that class. We've done that in the past with uh, previous cadres that come through. We like to still get them reps and even learn from better guys that are out there teaching it. Well, also, Kevin, as well, go ahead. I when I mean that's this is a commitment of not only from the probationary member going through the book and you as uh, like kind of the ringleader, if you will, or the ringmaster trying to coordinate this, but the department, like your department is signing off on sending them to a search class because there I and I'm imagining there's this recognition of the value in like not the minimum, but going above the minimum to make sure that that search culture and that class is is given to that that opportunity is presented to that new member and they're told, hey, like you will be going to this. I think that is amazing. Like I just I, I wanted to pause on that because that's that's huge that the department is recognizing that. Like yep. And and that comes from two different reasons. Obviously Chief signs off on all this and supports all this and he He's, he's what is kind of the, the first step in making a lot of things special for what we got going on. Uh, but he's the one that initially signs off on that. And then our training officer, too. Obviously, he has to support that. I am the quote unquote, I guess, assistant training officer. And he has the ultimate say kind of on our directions. But he's the type of guy as well that goes to outside trainings. He understands the benefit of all this. At one time, me and him were on the same shift teaching all of these guys together. Uh, our probationary book that was kind of designed amongst both of us together. So that's big, too. It's a big downfall you see often where that specific training officer shouldn't be a training officer. And the guy we got in place is, is the best training officer I've ever worked under. Uh, so uh, we have a healthy budget. So when this stuff comes up, we're just able to send, send, send in a sense. So it is for sure a, a very much of a benefit of our department of what we got going on. Awesome. In, in conjunction with that, of getting in them into some type of search class, it's also mandatory in the first, whenever the first nozzle forward comes up through our area, usually they pop up in the Austin area. It is mandatory that they go to the first uh, nozzle forward that comes through our area as well. Uh, a lot of the engine ops that we do teach uh, throughout the six months is a lot of nozzle forward type concepts. But just obviously, it's super important to sit in on Aaron Fields' class. Just nobody brings his perspective like he brings it. And then he's, you know, you're able to get more reps and stuff from that cadre of similar stuff of what we're able to teach. So those are the two outside classes that we make sure that we got going on as a search class and nozzle forward for sure when it comes to the area. So, so with that being said, if you've ever taken a nozzle forward or if anybody's ever taken a nozzle forward that's listening, you understand Aaron's a big, big pusher of everybody having the same lingo, everybody kind of doing the same technique, being on the same page with it being mandatory throughout our department. That allows at least our department to do that. You are right. We do have mutual aid responding. And if they're not taking those same classes, 
well, then that start, starts a gap right there. But at least everybody in our department is on the same page for the most part when it comes to engine ops. But, you know, that's so important because, like, the initial line is going to dictate the fire. So for you guys, everybody being on that line with Aaron's class and his cadre and that teaching, I mean, that jargon is going to be used. So because that's, like, traditionally for 99% or whatever the percentage, it's high. But, like, that first line is going to dictate the fire. So that's amazing. That's that's good stuff. Exactly. So and we all incorporate a lot of what they're teaching in there. So my nozzle man goes through the exact same hose advancements as well. So when he's on the nozzle, he understands what I'm trying to do back behind him when I'm telling him I'm hold and going back for more hose or whatever. He understands where I'm going to go get more hose, depending on my friction point, exactly what how I'm going to be trying to offload hose or whatever it may be. So it's just really effective in getting us all on the same page. Uh, teaching that stuff in-house and also getting it from his class. So from there, uh, we get into some uh, uh, ventilation. We got a prop where uh, we get into some vertical ventilations. So we get our guys comfortable with that. We make sure we have that down. Uh, being a one-station department, we don't have dedicated engines. We don't have dedicated trucks, but we are expected to do it all. So we for sure put in all truck work and all engine work, all the basics into this probationary phase. So that's where it kind of falls next into that month four vertical ventilation. We continue to work in uh, apparatuses as we move through this thing. And then uh, we do have a confidence course where we break where we have put it in at that point. Uh, what that looks like is just your typical stuff of going through tight boxes with wires, uh, going through studded walls, um, limited visibility. Uh, just those type things to make sure that, you know, if there is any issues with confined spaces, we we have we can work through that and somebody through that. So if they ever do end up in a pinch, that's not their first time kind of having to be put through that. So, we again, that confidence course is something big crawl, walk, run. The first time we mess with anything with a box or wire, I completely leave that up to the individual of how kind of in depth of dress they want to be. Uh, we had an individual about a year ago. Uh, they got up to the box and just the thought of looking down, it freaked them out. And so I could only imagine if I would have just ran a test or drill on them immediately, it would have probably ran them out of the firehouse. Uh, by the time, though, we were done with that individual, uh, we had them where they were purposely blacked out, jamming themselves into the wire, getting uh as tied up as much as they could and then seeing if they could get themselves out so that was one of the best examples i've seen of a crawl walk run and spending the time with the individual they took a lot of extra work but we managed the time and we put in the extra work after dinner or whenever it needed to take place and we still got them signed off where they needed to be at a very high level as well for that person well and that's so important because I think when I went to the academy, I remember, I mean, I did mass confidence and I was a volunteer beforehand. So I had a little bit of a, of, of some sort of experience and that could help you and hurt you. But like mass confidence, like in, in, our, in, in my academy, and it was a different time of education back then was like, I don't want to say it was a beat down, but it was definitely a beating to go through mass confidence. And I got skills and I was put in very uncomfortable positions, but there was no run. There was no crawl, walk, run. It was, full speed you're going yep. to do this and and what i'm getting at here is that you're at month four and like taking the time to build the confidence because you've just invent, invested three months into training somebody and like I, I i think some parts of the fire service in some areas 
just need to kind of remember that because mass confidence isn't about beating somebody. It's about giving the confidence to be comfortable in these uncomfortable situations. Yep. And, and the same thing happened to them in their academy. They went straight to the run. Uh, they had major issues. Uh, and, and they were even told by an instructor, this isn't meant for you. And by the time I was done with this person, I, there wasn't a respectful way to do it. You know, it was just wishing we could. But I really wished at that time that I could have taken them back to that instructor and showed them, look at what this individual is doing now. Uh, look how successful they are with with something they used to struggle with, with uh, one of the worst I've ever seen. 100%. So cool. Right, so Moving right month, along. Yeah. Month, month five, again, continuing with apparatuses. Uh, protocol testing is taking place at that time. Uh, we're continuing some engine ops kind of just throughout. We're getting into flowing and moving. Uh, we'll have a full day some point around month four or five or, or a couple full days if need be where it's just straight hose humping, understanding the management of humping hose. Again, uh, we leave these academies and usually there's no true game plan of how to get the hose to the fire. Uh, sometimes, a lot of times, it just, just depends what instructor you have from what department at that time where they kind of tell you how they did it. Well, going back to nozzle, nozzle forward, you pull from his manual and Aaron has a real specific way of how they do it. So we'll spend a couple of days on that, on really not any water even being flown. Uh, I'll just create at the station, we have a tower and pallets and stuff. I'll just create a bunch of kind of friction points, a bunch of 90s, a bunch of L's, some 180s, some, some T's where different kind of, you know, friction points you've come, come across in a structure. And I actually make it harder than a typical single story would be by the time we're done with it, uh, just so they understand what I'm doing when I'm back behind them humping hose. And then if they ever end up second or third on that line, they kind of understand as well uh, how to work that uh, with, with, uh, with the crew to work together on that and everybody being on the same page. So that's super big. I've always, I've always felt that friction points are one of the biggest downfalls on the line getting to the fire, the deployment super important, but the friction points within and taking the appropriate amount of hose is, is just as important to me. Well, and that's something we learn being in manpower restricted departments because, you know, the, the manpower is not there to begin with, but then you, you reach that point with a friction point, right. And you go back to track it and now you're having issues, but you're however many, however many minutes into the incident and you come out the front door and there's like five people standing on top of your line. Yep. And it's just like, that's, yeah, I, I'm just, that's so, so important. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm digging this. So that, that kind of, by then we should be wrapping up all the flowing and moving hose advancement where this guy can operate pretty well. So if he hasn't gone to nozzle Ford yet or a area engine ops class, it's almost to the point where it's just more of a refresher in a sense for them and more reps. That's kind of always the game plan. By the time they go take a search or engine ops class, uh, they've already been introduced to it all. They already understand it at all. And now they're just being kind of added on onto their foundation. Uh, on that month five as well, we introduced forcible entry. So just one man and two man uh, inward swinging and outward swinging forcible entry. We have a door. Uh, I can't stress the importance enough of a department having their own personal door. Uh, I hate to admit it, but it's true. Uh, forcible entry was very poor when I went through the fire academy and we didn't have a door at, at, at my initial department when I got hired. So I was never even really taught how to use a Halligan. And uh, I didn't understand 
really the importance of a Halligan until uh, I went to some outside trainings and my department picked up a door to use all of those basic concepts with. Now I lean towards having a Halligan with me at most times because I understand what it can do. So again, just more truck work that we incorporate as we move through this. Uh, so we got the search covered, the ladders covered, the forcible entry covered at that point, and the ventilation covered on the truck outside of thing by the time we're done with month five. So wrapping up month six, it's kind of a little slower by that point. It's kind of a left of as, as there's some stuff there, just a buffer space, just in case we've gotten behind on some things because of calls and stuff like that. Anything they need to be signed off on, which I have at month five is the plan just in case they fail and need extra work. We have month six to kind of try to make up some time. Uh, so just a bunch of basic stuff that our kind of department requires that a lot of Texas departments kind of require. We kind of round that out. And then by that point, uh, they should be good to go. Uh, like I said, uh, by this point, uh, by having the appropriate crews and stuff kind of training these guys, uh, we can tell if they're going to make it or they're not going to make it. And again, our department's been willing to get rid of guys that aren't, they're not going to make it from what we did. And when we have had to let people go, I don't have a worry with it at all because I don't have any guilt in my mind that they weren't given every single possibility to, to succeed. Another key thing that we do at our department is uh, to create more time. You know, we talked about, we can't go out of service and stuff like that. It is common at times where, you know, our new guys, they're not necessarily having to do the cooking for dinner and stuff like that. If we're behind in our day because of calls and there was something I was wanting to get to, it is very common. I will stay training with that individual while senior firemen are, are cooking dinners. Uh, same thing with cleaning and stuff like that, where it's very common where they may not have to take place in that if need be, uh, where training is going to take priority over that. And again, those are things that we picked up from other individuals just over the years that have been put out. But it has been stuff we've put to effect. And it's been super, super important uh, with going along with the very much uh, in-depth management of the shift, but also prioritizing, OK, does this guy really need to be cooking when uh, he doesn't even know how to hold a nozzle yet or even put on his gear yet? So, uh, you know, those are cultural things that were passed down to us. And fortunately, we've been exposed to other cultures that we feel will be more effective for these new guys. Kevin, is it possible for you to share with our audience the what the, what what this outline looks like? I mean, in, in writing as far as like a PDF copy or something like that? Yes, sir. Of course. Uh, I actually uh, mailed it's so large how it how it works uh, because it involves a bunch of in-depth stuff in it, other drills and all kinds of stuff. It's so large. I can't even share the whole thing. I actually mailed it to a guy today that, that requested it. Uh, so I'm willing to do that. But even just like the basic outline I went over, obviously we have a certain page that's uh, in this book that breaks down specifically just all the topics that we kind of incorporate. I can share that or I can sh even share the whole zip drive, what, whatever's the kind of just benefits other people the most whatever their need is you know we're more than willing to help out with that awesome that's that's amazing kevin where can people find you at uh so i'm on facebook uh kevin fluger i'm on instagram kevin fluger and i'm not hesitant to talk to people on the phone through messenger or my phone and stuff as well 
Uh, 210-393-0439 is my number. You can call and text me anytime. I try to be that guy that's always available for people that need some help. I cannot thank you enough for sitting down to talk with me about this. I wasn't sure, you know, when we started and I was thinking, I'm like, all right, I really wanted to talk about a, a favorite drill, but like that, you know, he said, all right, <laughs> six month book. But like, I love that because what, and what I like about this is that, you know, like I said, like there's bigger departments who don't have an issue per se, because they have a training department, they, they go through their own academy and then they can, yep. they can handle this. But here, you know, I think the majority of the American fire service is these smaller departments like you and I with the low manpower. And it gives us the opportunity to kind of see how somebody else is doing, doing this and uh, putting it forward. Like I, you know, at the start of this thought, man, this is crazy. Like teaching them writ first, I would think like you teach, but like, to know the mindset behind it and to know how you're doing like what you know the, the why essentially which mm -hmm. is something mark alone said before is like understanding the why but like you're explaining this along and it's logically it's checking boxes for me that i'm like okay like i can follow this like this is great so this was this was amazing i cannot thank you enough for uh for doing this what what, what do you got coming up like do you have anything um, that you're doing with Mercedes, any conferences, anything uh, that you're you're excited about that you're going to attend training wise, whatever. Yeah, we got uh, we're actually taking off tomorrow morning. Me and the MV Fire crew with the first line engine ops, we're headed out to uh, Arkansas to teach engine ops at the first end. Uh, Ryan McCormick there has been nice enough to give us some uh, extra rooms for the first couple of days of lecture to kind of be able to sit in and. Uh, watch the lectures you know just for our own benefit uh, mercedes is a sponsor of the first in conference so i will be working the booth there as well so uh i'll be able to you know communicate with anybody that has questions on products or anything like that while i'm there as well uh, we got that brothers in battle conference at the end of october coming to the san antonio area i'm very excited to uh get some more influence from guys like cody trestrel and stuff that are out there those guys have a really good reputation and I've never had the chance to take any of their classes. So uh, very excited about that. Uh, first week of October, we'll be going and teaching, helping out with some of the engine ops side of things and doing our uh, engine ops lecture at the For Them conference at Port Arthur. Uh, got LJ Geis coming in from out of town to uh, come hang out, ride with us over there. He's doing some instructing stuff as well. So really excited to be seeing my buddy LJ coming up soon. And since things are cooling off, I also teach with No Quit Rit with uh, through MV Fire, and we got I think three or four things on the books coming up. And the last thing I can't help but to say, <laughs> we're going down to uh, Cabo early February 2024. Uh, we're going to be teaching a bunch of bomberos down there in uh, Cabo, Mexico. So I think they're going to have about 150 students out there. So we're working on planning that thing right now as we speak, also. Man, that sounds like uh, I missed the invite on that one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, Kevin, thank you so much, man. I'm uh, I, I appreciate you being here today and and going over this with me. I, I cannot thank you enough. Thank so, you, Rob. Thanks for the opportunity. And anybody that wants this information, just please reach out, and I'll get it get it to you as soon as I can. Everybody, this is Rob National Fire Radio with this episode of the Gospel with Lieutenant Kevin Pfluger from Live Oak, Texas, talking about training, talking about his training plan. Kevin, thank you so much, everybody. Have a good day and be safe out there. We'll catch you on the next one.